Welcome to Noggin, the Simple Psychology Podcast, where we discuss scientific research in simple and exciting ways that is applicable to everyone. I'm Ben Rasmussen. And I'm McKay Heaton. And we are your hosts. It's 1961 in the United States. Fidel Castro has recently become the president of Cuba. Tensions are high. President Eisenhower directed the CIA to form a plan to invade Cuba because the U.S. saw Cuba as a Cold War threat. In 1960, just a year before this invasion, President Kennedy was elected and continued working on this plan. In April of 1961, an invasion is launched from Guatemala, and within two days, the U.S. was completely defeated. How did this happen? Some of the brightest minds in the country were involved in the planning of this operation from the president's cabinet. However, they were all very similar in their backgrounds, and the way they thought about things. Later, when asked about the invasion, most of them said they had reservations about the plan, but they were afraid to voice their opinions. In an attempt at having a devil's advocate, the planning committee included a senator that was known to disagree with the plan, but instead of fulfilling a beneficial role as devil's advocate, the committee became more set in their ideas about the plan by banding together to argue against the senator. The failure of Kennedy's cabinet to voice their concerns led to an embarrassing defeat for the United States. And a great topic of research for the rest of us. So today we're going to be talking about group influence. And this Bay of Pigs story is the classic example of something that's called groupthink. So groupthink is a psychological phenomenon that occurs within a group in which the pressure to conform results in an incorrect or deviant decision-making outcome. So basically what that means is if your group is too uniform, if maybe everyone spent a little bit too much time together or everyone comes from the same background and everyone has similar ideas, you're more likely to come to an incorrect or a less beneficial decision than if you have a diverse group with diverse opinions, people who maybe don't know each other as well, and devil's advocates that aren't necessarily lone wolves that are trying to preach to a very uniform choir. So today we're going to be talking about various forms of group influence and how to overcome them to make sure that we're not falling victim to things like groupthink and having our own failed Bay of Pigs invasions. Yes, so the first paper we are going to talk about today, I am very excited about. The title is Party Over Policy, The Dominating Impact of Group Influence on Political Beliefs. This was published in 2003 by Cohen, and it's in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. This study is awesome. I'm super excited to discuss it with Ben and to hash through it and see what we can learn from it. This study was a two-by-two-by-two manipulation, which is a little hard to understand, but we're going to give it our best shot. So they told the subjects who were part of the study that they were testing their memory on current events. Then they presented them with a newspaper article to read and asked them questions about how much they agreed with it, then tested their memory on it. They also asked participants how liberal or conservative they were on a scale and sorted them into two groups based on their self-rating. So this is the first two of the three twos we will talk about. So that's the first split. Then, equal amounts of the self-identified liberals and conservatives were split into another two groups and presented with one of two welfare policies. That's the second two in the two-by-two-by-two. So one policy was a generous policy, and the other one was a strict policy. The generous policy included things like $800 a month per family for welfare, $200 extra per kid, $2,000 in food stamps, and full medical coverage. 
The strict policy included $250 per month per family plus $50 per child, partial medical insurance, and much less overall. The experimenters then split the groups again and changed what was said about each policy in the newspaper clipping that the subjects read. So they called this split reference information. So in the Democrat favor condition, the newspaper clipping said that 90% of Democrats support this welfare policy. In the Republican favor condition, it said that 90% of Republicans support this welfare policy. Okay, so just in review for the two by two by two. Yeah, let's break this down. The first split was self-rating on how liberal and conservative you were. First split. Okay, are you with me, Ben? Yeah, so this was a self-split. They Mm -hmm. chose which group they were going to be in based on their political beliefs. Yes, they just filled out the survey and then the researchers split them up. Got it. Then the second split was which welfare policy they read about. So they split the two groups into two more groups each, so four groups total, and half and half of each group read about a different policy. So there were liberals who read about a generous welfare policy and a strict welfare policy, and conservatives who also read about a generous welfare policy and a strict welfare policy. Exactly. And then those four groups were all split into two groups each. The last split changed what was said about their welfare policy. So in the Democrat favor condition, it said that 90% of Democrats support this policy. In the Republican favor condition, they said that 90% of Republicans support this welfare policy. So someone could have been a self-identified Republican and then seen or read a newspaper clipping on a generous welfare policy and was in the Democrat favor condition where it said 90% of Democrats favor this policy. And so the researchers wanted to find out what was the most significant factor in deciding if a person agreed with a certain policy or not. So that's what they were after. They wanted to know what made people decide to support or not support a certain policy. And they found that the most significant factor was reference information. So remember that last split that I told you about? Yeah, yeah. So that's the part where it says that 90% of Democrats or 90% of Republicans support this policy. Yes, that split and that information inside of the newspaper clipping was the most significant factor in influencing the decision of the subject. Wow. So that means that it didn't matter how liberal or conservative these people were or what the welfare plan was. The most important thing was whether or not the article said that their political party agreed with this policy or not. Exactly. Wow. Which is surprising, as well as they even asked each participant how they decided to support the policy. And the participants thought that their views on government and the details of the proposal were the most influential in their decisions, but those turned out to be non-significant. So they were either misleading themselves or they were knowingly misleading the researchers, it sounds like. Yeah. So they thought that they were making their decisions on certain things, but actually they were making their decision based on another thing. Hmm. Wow. Which was political party. And that's, you know, that's that's groupthink right there. 
It's just because mm-hmm. I belong to this certain group and I'm in this certain group, I'm going to agree with the group, even though I don't necessarily agree with it. Does that make sense? If I, if I t- yeah. if you took the time to think about, mm, do I really agree with this? Versus just saying, oh, I'm a Democrat, so I'm going to do what Democrats do. Yeah. So that's really interesting. And I think that's really important to talk about. I mean, this definitely is not a political podcast, but in today's political climate, there is a lot of divisiveness between the two major parties in this country. So I think it's really important to understand how just identifying with one of the two parties can really change your outlook on what's going on in society. Yeah. And it can even change your outlook on what types of things you vote for and what types of things you support. Mm -hmm. So for me, when I read this, I think about, okay, if I ever see a policy or a person running for an office or anything like that, I've been thinking about my past votes as well as like, you know, my future votes. And I'm thinking about, okay, do I take the time to really think through the policy or the person or their views and say, do I agree with this? You know, instead of just saying, well, what are they, you know, in this group or this group? Okay, I'll choose this group because I'm a part of that group. You know, Mm -hmm. that's one thing that I've been thinking about after reading this article. But I'm very excited to hear your article, Ben, because that's like the original. Yeah. So this article is from 1956. It is a classic study in social psychology. So it's by Solomon Ash. And it's called Studies of Independence and Conformity, a Minority of One Against a Unanimous Majority. This was published in Psychological Monographs, once again in 1956. This is a classic study in which Solomon Ash wanted to understand how being in a group affects how individuals behave. And this series of studies that he did and condensed into this one paper was extremely influential and is still extremely influential in the field of psychology. It gave us a lot of understanding of the power of groups on how we behave. So in experiment one, groups of seven to nine students were gathered in a classroom. They were shown a line and then they were asked to compare that line to three other lines and choose which one was the same length as the original line they were shown. So this is a pretty simple task. It was not a memory task. They were able to see all four lines at the same time and make a decision. And it also wasn't an optical illusion. There's lots of things like that where there's some sort of of mask that makes it difficult to tell how long the lines are, but it was very obvious which line was the correct line. However, this experiment comes with a twist. So all of the participants, except for one, met with the researchers before the experiment and were told to act a certain way. So in the research world, we call these confederates. So you have one participant among six or seven confederates who know what's going on and are acting a certain way because they were told to. So for example, in certain instances, they would unanimously select the wrong line. This was done to test the response of the one real participant. So there's seven of them in a room, six of them know what's going on, one of them doesn't, and all six of them answer the wrong line. And then they all look at the one participant who doesn't know what's going on and they just kind of give him this smile And this participant has to make a decision whether or not they're going to go with what they think is real or just with what the group is doing. That's pressure. (laughs) It's extreme pressure. It's a lot of pressure. So as usual, the researchers included a control group with which to compare the experimental group. So in the control group, they they didn't have any confederates. They just let everyone answer how they thought was correct. In the experimental group, the one with the confederates, the confederates sometimes chose a line that was only slightly off from the correct line, but sometimes the mistake was blatantly obvious, with the mistakes getting more and more obvious over time. So with these different lengths, they would choose at first the one that was off, clearly off, but only slightly, 
And then as time went on, they would choose lines that were more and more off just to see how far they could get this participant to go. <laughs> That's horrible. Yeah, I would That's not horrible. want to participate in this study. Once again, this is in the 50s. We have different ethical standards now. I'm sure that these participants were debriefed after and told, hey, we were, you know, not testing what we said we were. Everyone knew about it except you. That would be kind of embarrassing. But we know a lot from this study, so... <laughs> um, I would definitely think I was in the Matrix or in part a part of this <laughs> Inception or something like that. Yeah, I think I was. I think I was going crazy. Well, one one thing too, it's kind of funny to to watch these videos because they filmed a lot of these and it's in black and white and they're sitting in this classroom and sometimes the participant will freak out. They'll like look at everyone and they'll be like, "It's that one. Are you serious? It's it's obviously that one." And they'll have a really hard time. Sometimes the participants though are just really. It looks like they're scared. They don't really know what to do because it's tough to go against the group like that. So if you're ever curious, you can look up the Solomon Ash line study videos on YouTube and you can see some of the participants wrestling with whether or not to choose the right line. So in the experimental group, the experimenter would simply give the participants their instructions and then he would record their answers, being sure not to show any surprise with their wrong answers. So what they found was really interesting. In the control group, which had no fake participants choosing wrong answers, 35 of the 37 participants chose only correct answers out of the 12 trials, while only one-fourth of the 123 participants in the experiment group chose only correct answers. <laughs> wow, that number is very low. Yes, very low and also very different from the control group. So the average number of mistakes made in the experimental group was 4.41. Once again, this is out of 12 trials. So in the experimental group... The, the average score was about 7.5 out of 12, when in the control group, only a few people got any answers wrong. Interesting. I mean, it's not surprising. I imagine myself in that situation, and I don't know what i do. Yeah, another thing, too, is about 75% of the errors that the experiment group made were major errors, and only 25% were moderate errors. So a lot of these participants were willing to say the correct answer when the correct answer was only slightly different from the group's answer. But as the mistakes got more and more blatant, they were less willing to go against the grain. And so they chose more major errors. Interesting. Interesting. So it, if the group's behavior was more extreme, they were more likely to follow it. Yeah. So once again, this was a compilation of many experiments, and so there was different variations. Another fun one to look up and watch videos of is in another experiment, they planted one friend in the group. So one of the Confederates was supposed to answer correctly with the real participant, and he was also supposed to be kind of buddy-buddy with him. So in the videos you watch, you'll see everyone answering wrong except for this one confederate and he'll say the right answer and then they'll go over to the real participant and they'll also say the right answer and you'll see the confederate kind of look over at the participant and give him a nod and a thumbs up and maybe even a wink and a gun or something yeah so it so it gave the participant comfort and someone to work with and someone to help them realize that hey, I'm not crazy. I'm not in the matrix right now. There's someone on my side. <laughs> yeah. And it, it gave them a lot more confidence in saying the right answer. Yeah, so I don't have the exact numbers on that one, but the results were much different. The participants were willing to say the right answer much more often than, than when they were by themselves. That makes a lot of sense. That's really cool. Yeah, another variation that I thought was interesting too is this: they scrapped the line study and they put participants into a room and they did a written test. 
the researchers didn't care at all about this written test. What they were really wanting to know is whether or not this participant would report a fire if no one else around them seemed to notice. So they would be in this room, the experimenter would leave, one participant surrounded by confederates would be in this room sitting around a table and working on a test. And then the experimenters would start to pump smoke in the room through the vents and under the door. And the confederates were told not to react at all. And so they pretended they didn't even see the smoke and they just kept working on the test. <laughs> yeah, once again, the poor participant. So the participant is sitting there noticing the smoke and looking around and seeing that no one else is doing anything about it. And so just like in the line study, participants were very reluctant to go and report a fire. And in very few instances did they get up and leave. Most of the time they just sat there in the smoke and were very confused at what was going on. What on earth? That yeah. is crazy. <laughs> so this just goes to show that the influence that a group has on individual behavior is extremely powerful when we're not aware of it. Just like in the political study, these people were willing to go along with what the group was doing, even if their political beliefs said otherwise. So there were these liberals who were in the strict group who were willing to go along with that policy, even though Democrats don't actually believe that. They're willing to go along with that policy just because the news article said that 90% of Democrats agree with this policy. And the same thing with the Republican side. And then you translate it to these individuals in this study, and they were willing to say wrong answers and fail to report a fire just because everyone else was doing it. Thinking about these studies, it really seems that being included in the group is extremely important to most people. There's obviously outliers always, but... I mean, based on these studies, it's like people will do a lot of things just to stay conformed to a group. Yeah. And we would love to do a future episode on that idea of conformity because there's a lot of really eye-opening and jaw-dropping research on how far humans will actually go to conform. And there's lots of research on mob psychology, where if you get enough people in a group, they will do just about anything together. Humans are social creatures. We crave being in a group and we crave acceptance from that group. There's not much that most of us won't do, fortunately, unfortunately, for the sake of acceptance of a group when we're not aware of what's going on. As I was researching this topic, I also came across an article that had just recently come out where they systematically reviewed the Tiananmen Square Massacre. And it, it was new. I think it was published just a couple of years ago, 2020, 2021. I can't remember. But they analyzed it and they found or argued that the decision to, you know, massacre all of these students in China was because of groupthink as well, which is interesting to think. I, I never heard that before. Yeah, it's kind of startling. There's lots of research into the Holocaust, police brutality, things like that. And the effect that a group can have on people can lead them to do things that they never imagined they would do. And this holds up across cultures. So there's studies that have been done in America on Americans. There's been studies that have been done, obviously, with German soldiers who fought in World War II or who manned concentration camps. And also, in other countries, another study found that the ASH study was replicated in Kuwait to see if this effect only happens in America, but the researchers found the same result that Solomon Ash found across the board. So across cultures and languages and in various countries, humans want to fit into groups, and there's not much that we won't do to fit into a group. Yeah, so what are your takeaways, Ben? So putting this into practice, it's obvious that groups can have a strong influence on our thoughts and behavior. 
So when a group behaves in a certain way or believes a certain way, ask yourself, one, if these ideas make sense, and two, if they are in line with the information you have and if they are true to your values. Seeking information independent of the group you are in and comparing that to what the group is saying and doing can be extremely valuable. So going back to this political study, if you subscribe to a particular political party and there is a policy or a vote, a candidate that's coming up, and you know that a lot of people in your party agree with that, it can be really valuable to society and to your own life if you ask yourself if that candidate or that policy or whatever it is actually aligns with your values or if you're just going along with it because you subscribe to a certain political party and your party believes that thing. Yeah, that's super cool. I mean, that's a that's a great takeaway. I was thinking what we've been talking about has reminded me of an experience that I had. It was the first time Allie and I rode horses together. It was pretty cool. (laughs) Sounds fun. (laughs) So we were riding my cousin's horses. They live on a cattle ranch, so they have all the land in the world and a bunch of horses. And me and Allie got on and it was my first time in like my adult life riding a horse. Mm-hmm. I, I never had the opportunity to, even though I'd been up to their ranch all the time. We just rode four wheels and stuff. So I was like, you know what? I want to get on a horse with Allie. She's never ridden a horse before either in her adult life. So I was like, hey, I think it'd be great. So we hop on these horses and I'm just excited out of my mind. And I'm on, I'm on a bigger horse, but it's old. And Allie's on a little bit smaller, younger horse. I was just so excited. Once I was on, after Allie had gotten on, I just like dug my heels right into the horse and it took off. Because <laughs> I was just super excited, you know, like gallop with my hair blowing in the wind, you know, magical scene. Uh-huh, and yeah, <laughs> majestic as the <laughs> sun is setting. Exactly. My first time riding a horse, we just bonded with that horse. I was thinking of spirit, you know. When I took off, Allie's horse also took off. And if you know anything about horses, whatever one horse does, all of them will do every time. And so... I took off and Allie's horse took off and everyone else's horses took off. I was one of the last people on my horse. So everyone's horse just like started running like a stampede because <laughs> we had like seven or eight horses out. Wow. And my horse is old and slow. So all the other horses just caught up and passed mine. <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't having a super hard time staying on because it's old and slow. But Allie's horse was like one of the fastest horses they had. Like she didn't even have her feet in the stirrups. And so I just see her fly past me, just bounce around like screaming. Oh, it was so funny. In the end, we all lived. She, <laughs> she was fine. She, she hung under the reins like a champ. She slowed the horse down, got super mad at me. I was like, I, I didn't know. <laughs> but, you know, that was a real life lesson to me about groupthink like horses are like people people are like horses where Mm -hmm. it's like if one horse takes off if the group is going then they just do it if everyone around me is running am i just gonna run or am i gonna really think about why do i want to run what's the purpose behind it wow yeah that's a really interesting takeaway and a really interesting story that translates well to what we're talking about here so a way to combat this is to receive and consider a variety of opinions and thoughts in any sort of group project or discussion, or even when you're formulating your own political or other beliefs. We don't want to just talk about politics here, but it's just kind of an easy topic to bring up. But whenever you're considering what your values are or where to take a group project or a discussion, it can be extremely important to understand the perspectives of others. And understanding the ideas and the experiences of people who are different from the group that you belong to, whether that's your gender, your race, your age, political affiliation, sexual orientation, religion, state, country, whatever it is, finding someone who doesn't belong to the group you belong to and understanding their experience can help you become a better, more well-rounded person with more rounded values that are true to who you are instead of just the values of whatever group you generically belong to. 
I really liked that comment, Ben, because it reminded me of our reading fiction episode. Mm -hmm. You know, when you read fiction, you were better able to understand someone else. And I think Mm -hmm. that this skill that combats groupthink is very similar to that, where you're able to think, okay, you know, is this person who's disagreeing with the group correct? Mm -hmm. Or what is their perspective? And I think that, you know, reading fiction might be a great way to combat groupthink if you're able to put yourself into someone else's shoes and think about the problem and say, okay, like, how would they think about it? You know, does that make sense? Yeah, if if you're able to regularly put yourself in situations where there are other ideas or people with other perspectives than your own, you're going to inherently benefit from that just regularly hearing those things and also being open to that if you're not open to that you might just make yourself really angry all the time because you think that the other people are wrong but if you're willing to be open to those ideas reading fiction talking to other people reading other people's opinions in the news from the other side of the political spectrum that you don't belong to whatever it is that can help you one have more compassion and empathy for others and two just check yourself on your values and ideals and help you understand what you actually believe. Totally. From this episode, I learned that I want to maybe be the devil's advocate more often in mm-hmm. groups to avoid groupthink. But, you know, if I do agree with the group, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But just being able to understand, look at the problem from a different perspective most of the time is what I want to try and do. Yeah, and if you research something and you really look into it and you hear a variety of opinions and you find that your opinion happens to align with your political party you belong to, there's nothing wrong with that. But believing that a certain group you belong to has all the answers can lead to catastrophic mistakes like the Bay of Pigs. So it's important to have the humility to consider the feedback of outsiders when making those decisions. And if you really turn over every stone and you hear different opinions and you read different sources and you really challenge your beliefs and you still come to the same conclusion, then you can be a little more confident in the fact that that belief lines up with your values and your morals and you're not just following the group like a horse. You have been listening to Noggin, the Simple Psychology Podcast. Thank you for listening to our show. We really appreciate it. We have shared with you only a few articles of the thousands that have been published on this subject. Though we wish we could go more in depth, we hope you've enjoyed our introduction and interpretation of this topic. We don't claim to know everything, but we have shared with you our takeaways from reading this research. I'm McKay. And I'm Ben. And we hope you have a great rest of your day.